listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Hey, folks. Welcome to... Pa- <laughs> What's this podcast <laughs> called? Syntax. Welcome to Syntax. This is the tastiest web development podcast out there. Today, we are having a potluck, which is submitted questions by you. If you ever have questions that you want us to answer... Related to absolutely anything, you can go to syntax.fm. In the top right-hand corner, there should be a Ask a Potluck question. You can submit your question in there. If you have a hard-to-pronounce name, please give us pronunciation as well, because <laughs> we tend to butcher it. Uh, with me today, as always, Scott Talinsky. Hey. How's it going today, Scott? Oh, I'm doing good. It's a, little, it's a little rainy out here. I'm ready to go, ready to kick this week off. I just finished recording my latest course. So there's a little bit of weight off my shoulders. I have a oh, have some, feels good. some deadlines that I, I just hit and I am uh, feeling good, ready to start Devin. I'm working on a full rewrite of the CSS for level up tutorials and it is fun. It's actually a blast. I'm having a great time. Oh man, that's awesome. I've been just chugging away at my JavaScript course over like I've had so much travel and workshops and conference talks and little things pop up here and there. Oh, and, yeah. uh, last week I've had nothing, not a meeting, no, nothing that could get in my way. And uh, I've just have been having such a productive week. I even got sick and I still feel like I got a lot done that week. So it's just like a, it's just a, a good reminder that like these things are really fun to do, but like at the end of the day, my business is just like making courses and it's, it's <laughs> really nice when you have time just to like, focus in on, on what it is you've been wanting to do for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know in my last course was on animating in React and it's the thing that I yeah. just like really love with React Spring. So it's so yeah. funny because I just did all this work to to dive into React Spring and, and, and get like really, really comfortable with it. And sure enough, I get to turn around and on level up tutorials, just use all of that stuff I just taught. Like, <laughs> I don't have to look at the docs. It's so fresh in my mind. I'm just like breezing through some nice little animations and transitions. So I'm having a good time with it. And uh, I'm using custom CSS properties for it, which is fantastic. I'm going to tell you, that. I love it. So do you want to get into some of these potluck questions here? Yes. Uh, first, before we get into that, we are sponsored by uh, two awesome companies. First one is Sentry. Going to do all of your bug errors and exception tracking. And the second one is FreshBooks, which is cloud accounting. So our first question today is from Mike. The question was media queries. I recently started a static site and I want as much of the site as possible to change layout with just CSS for responsive design. I'm comfortable with media queries, but often find times the design is very different between sizes. It is easy to tame the complexity of repeated data for different component views by keeping everything in sync but is it good practice to put two completely different component level views in a single HTML file? Does the repeated data in a static HTML have any effect on SEO? This is, I like this question a lot because I just did a YouTube video a couple of weeks ago called like the impossible CSS layout where somebody tweeted a picture at me and said like, hey, like this layout, like how would you do it? It was like paragraph image, paragraph image, paragraph image. And then at a certain break point, it went, all the images went to the left and mm. all of the text went to the right. And you think like, no sweat that uh, grid can handle that. And then you get into it. You're like, oh, no, like grid isn't good at, at doing that because you have grid rows to think about. And you're like, oh, Flexbox, like, oh, no, it doesn't really do that either. You can't really reorder them into columns. And you think, oh, CSS columns. And then, <laughs> oh, you can't you can't really put <laughs> items into specific columns. You go floats. I was like, oh, no, there's oh. that like clear fix issue where 
the text is longer than the image. And it turns out it was just not possible to do it at all. So the solution at the end of the day was either to use some JavaScript or to just duplicate the HTML, like output it twice with whatever CMS you're using. And the question is, like, is, is that fine? What do you think about that? I don't think that's fine. I don't think it's fine for a couple of reasons. And they, they say yeah. it's it's not good for SEO, but I don't know the specifics of this. And I'm going to need some accessibility people to, to bump me up here. But if you have something in the HTML twice, and I don't know if it's if it's display none, if this comes into effect here, if something's yeah. display none on the element itself, is it going to get picked up by screen readers? It won't be. If, it won't be. Okay. No, it won't. That, I think if something is hidden, visually hidden, either by display none or visibility hidden, or you just have like the hidden attribute on an element, both at Google won't see it and accessibility readers won't pick up on it either. So I think it's fine if you ever have to do duplicate content like that, then it's it's totally fine to do that. Yeah, I just, it feels weird to me for some reason. I have- It does, yeah. A duplicate navigation in level up tutorials because the nav is so different from the main nav. Yeah. However, I'm actually toggling it via, like it's mounting and unmounting out of the DOM depending on the browser width. So, oh, hmm. yeah. So you add and remove it with React. It's super easy to do something like that because it will just add and remove it. Um, but if you're not using that, if, if this was me, I would probably pop a hidden attribute on the DOM element by default. And what that will do is it will ensure even if your CSS doesn't load for whatever reason or if Google crawls it without CSS, the hidden attribute will make sure that it's actually visually hidden. And then you can just add and remove that attribute yourself because I think that's even better than than CSS because like the hidden attribute describes the the DOM content yeah, regardless yeah. of of what CSS is being applied. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, it still feels wrong to me, but at, at the end of the day, if you got to do it, you got to do it. Some of this like wording in this question leads me to believe that like maybe the design needs to change a little bit. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, like part of being a good designer is knowing your your limitations. Like part of being a good designer is pushing your limits, right? But also yeah. knowing them. But also, so like the website or the app that someone is using on their phone, how, like how is it going to be that much different from the desktop app? Like, do you want to have the experience be so much different that it's like an impossible, like if it's just layout, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it still feels really like there's an issue here with the initial thought process in the design. But uh, that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've done it maybe four or five times over the last couple of years where you do duplicate content just because it is totally different. Maybe it's like a gallery or something like that. And you just can't make it work with CSS or you're doing some really funky stuff with CSS where mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's probably better just to make two different components or two pieces of HTML. But I would probably take another look at your design and figure out, because I think the flexibility of Grid and, and Flexbox is pretty flexible. And if you still can't do it with that, then maybe reevaluate the design. Cool. So let's get into this next one. It's here it is how should a mid-level developer know when it's time to leave the current company? Is tech stack a decent reason, even though he or she is happy at the place, but feels like they are not growing enough? Yeah, this one is tough because, again, you don't want to leave a company, in my opinion, without having something else lined up. Like every time I've quit or left a company, it's because a better opportunity showed up. Someone was willing to pay me more to do something that is actually interesting to me or a company that was a nice, nice change of pace or, or everything that everything that they had that is something that I wanted. And that's why I would leave a company. So I've never been afraid to interview while I had a job. 
because even if they offer you the job, you can always say no, right? You don't have to accept any sort of yeah, job that you've been point. offered. So if you interview for a job, you learn a little bit about the company culture and all this sort of stuff. And it doesn't seem to be the right fit. Well, then just abandon it. And if you interview for a job and it seems like the holy grail of jobs for you and they're going to pay you more and your commute time is less and there's like a lot of positives here, then it's a tougher choice. But, you know, I would never limit yourself to say, hey, I'm looking for a job or hey, I'm not looking for a job. I would say my ears are open to opportunities that are going to be good for me and my career. So is a tech stack a decent reason? Yeah, it depends. I was working at a job that was just doing straight up WordPress sites and yeah. and Drupal sites. And it's not like I didn't like Drupal, but we were limited to using a certain version of older Drupal that I did not particularly like. And there was just like a lot of limitations on the the stuff that we were able to write. And so for me, it did feel like I was sort of drowning in, in not advancing my career at all. And that was a reason why when a job came along, I was happy to accept the job for a number of reasons. But again, yeah, I would just keep your ears open, apply for stuff that's interesting to you. And then if if it's not good when you get there, you don't have to take it. Yeah, that's, that's a really good answer. I like because you, you don't have to accept the job, right? The thing that sticks out to me in this question is that they say he or she is happy in their place. So I think like being happy in your job is very underrated because oh, yeah. there's probably a lot of people that make really good money and are absolutely miserable uh, at their job or they have a brutal commute. And like, I see that personally a lot where I live. We're like about, I don't know, like an hour commute into the, the big city. And there's lots of people that live in these huge houses and they're absolutely miserable in their job, but they've got this like sort of lifestyle creep that they have to sort of keep up with. And it's really frustrating to see people like that because they, they, they feel like they can't make some sort of change because of that. So I think that's one reason maybe if you're happy, that's that's a reason maybe to stay and, and just sort of keep looking at it. If you don't think that there's room to grow, maybe talk to the person who who's your boss and say like, hey, look, I'm, I feel like I'm just stagnating in my skills. This is an ever moving industry. Maybe we should move up. Other opportunities, shorter commute time is probably well worth it. Uh, mm -hmm. Money obviously is a big factor there. Working on things that you are passionate about. So maybe you're not super stoked on like real estate websites. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But you get the opportunity to go ahead and work for, I don't know, a, a business that saves cats all day long. And that would be <laughs> like really fulfilling for you. So there's just so much that that really goes into it. But I think pretty much what Scott said is most important. Yeah, and I personally left a job that I really liked for one that I ended up not liking. It had a worse commute. It had um, the pay was better, but like the, the work was not as good. So, you know, you can always make those changes and possibly regret those changes. But at the end of the day, stick it out, get a new job, move on. You know, it's one of those things that there is if you hit a crossroads like that, there is a potential that your new situation isn't going to match your old situation. And that's OK, too, even if it is a bummer. A little bit. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, you might goof it up. You might goof it up. That's, that's life. <laughs> Next question we have here from Chris is, should I worry about critical vulnerabilities when installing an NPM package? So right now when you install, uh, I think as of NPM, what was it, six or something like that? When you NPM install something, it also does a, a security check to see if any of the package versions that you are using or if any of the dependencies down the tree. And, and we all know as as node modules and, and NPM installs works is that sometimes you can go 400 levels deep of dependencies having dependencies having dependencies. And uh, if anywhere down that tree, there's any sort of vulnerability, it will report to you that there's like 
400 mild, or I don't know what they're called. There's like critical, low, high, <laughs> mild, Tex-Mex versions of vulnerabilities. <laughs> and uh, the question is, should you be worrying about that, specifically the critical ones? And I think absolutely, first, you should check out what's going on. But I think what's really important is that you should figure out, can I easily upgrade this? If so, why not? Go for it. If it's an easy upgrade, you get rid of that vulnerability, then you can sleep easy at night. Sometimes it's a whole version bump. They fix it. They don't like patch the older version that you're working with and they bump it to the new one. And I specifically have this with my courses sometimes where the course is built on a specific version and the next version up, the API is slightly different. It's not really any new features. So we'll just stick with the version we have so that people don't trip up. But then when people NPM install, you get critical vulnerability in the thing. And that's not great for being scared. But if you go and see, like, what is this vulnerability? Almost always it's just like this super weird edge casey thing where, like, if you use this in a certain way with a regex, then there's a slight possibility that if you have logs that are viewable, there could be a big security. So go ahead and look at how would you have to use this thing? Uh, because there might not be uh, a use case where like, oh, I didn't actually use it in this specific way. And it's it's not actually a, a vulnerability to me. I don't know, it's kind of scary to think about, but uh, right. of course, just go ahead and, and review your code, see how you actually are using that specific package. Yeah, definitely. And also like, what are the stakes of this packet? Like this, uh, what are the stakes of this project? Is this client work? Is this public facing work? Yeah. This is some like private just exercise that you're doing for yourself. I like wouldn't even necessarily as long as there's no like uh security concerns there like if it's just a, a mess around sort of thing i don't know i might not worry about it but uh for the most part yeah you do want to you want to check this out one of the things that i wanted to mention here about like upgrading your packages was do you use yarn or npm i use npm okay well yarn has a really sweet upgrade interface called upgrade hyphen interactive and it'll give you a green yellow or red letting you know if it was like a major version change or a breaking change and so that way, like you can, yeah. you can see quickly all of your packages. It's sort of like the, there was a, an NPM package that did, did some of the same thing, but this gives you an easy thing. You can see all your green ones. This should be clear to update. You can update them and, and just move on and hope that fixes it. Yeah. And, and on NPM, we also have uh, something called NPM outdated. So you just mm. run it and it will show you what packages you have, what current version, what current version you have installed, what is being matched by the, uh, What's that called with the three dots? Um, what's that called? Sys Semver, S- Semver. semantic versioning, uh, and then what the the latest version is. Uh, I specifically use an external package called npm check updates, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then I just run ncu on on my repos all the time, and it'll it'll show you what needs to be updated, and you can either just push it to the package JSON and accept them all, or you manually can go through and, and update them as you need it. Yeah, ncu is the one I was I was trying to come up with. All right, next question here. I've had the idea for styling one site two different ways, professional slash artistic and giving visitors a button to toggle between the two. Too gimmicky? And a secondary question, how did you pick your brand colors? Well, okay, so the first question is they want to build their site and have a button that's going to toggle the visual interface, take it from professional to artistic. And they want to know if this is too gimmicky. I don't think this is too too gimmicky. I think this is cool. I think this is fun. And like, again, because it's like sort of non, it's non important, really, it gives the user the option, and they'll see the button, maybe they click it. And and as long as everything is is cool and fun and and good, then I think it's going to be kind of cool. I I think this is great. 
Yeah, I think it's really fun as well. I remember back when I was just getting into web development, there was this band called The Junction and they had this song called Good Morning. And what they did is that they had a different design for good morning, good afternoon and good evening. And then depending on the time of day, it would load the different CSS. Mm. And I thought that just blew my mind at the time. I was like, how do they know what time it is <laughs> in the website? And I just like I couldn't even fathom how that could possibly work. And I'm like, they must be running PHP or something like that. And there must be a way in PHP. Like, I just like, I have such fond memories back then. Cause I like, I just remember thinking of like all the possibilities of web development back then. And now like, I'm just jaded old man. I'm like, of course you could use PHP to check the time depending on what server the located it in. <laughs> But uh, I thought that was that was really, really funny. I think it's cool to go ahead. And that that's sort of the idea behind the whole uh, CSS Zen Garden as well, where you have the same markup and you should be able to style this thing differently, uh, given that you have nice semantic markup. I used to love CSS Zen, Zen Garden. I, I remember being just absolutely blown away by some of those examples at the time, just being like, how can you do all of this with CSS? Yeah. This is amazing. We should do like a syntax garden or something like that where we come up with some oh. markup and then see how everybody styles it differently that's a great idea that's a yeah beautiful if you want idea. to see that tweet us i'm at west boss scott is at Stalinsky. yeah yeah okay secondary question how did you pick your brands colors i didn't pick my brands colors personally uh despite loving purple and teal i think for some reason the designer just sort of telepathically knew that purple and teal were some of my favorite colors. So no, we worked with a designer. He came up with the logo and the brand's colors, and we went from there. There was originally sort of like a neon greenish involved too that we have not been using just because there's a lot of colors going on. But yeah, so purple and a teal, you know, I used to like I used to have a ton of purple and teal stuff growing up. Obviously, I had the uh, Charlotte Hornets starter jacket like a lot of kids did. And um, I, I just had, I had like purple <laughs> and teal T-shirts and all sorts of stuff. So, no, it's just the colors fit me very well. I saw them. I was instantly like, yes, this is where I want to go. That's funny. I, actually, mine goes back to basketball as well. I When I was a kid, I loved the Lakers and they were mm. uh, purple and yellow. Yes. And I've always stuck with a specific yellow regardless of where I'm going with my design very early on, I did purple and yellow. Then I, my current website is like, like a kind of a light black and yellow. Obviously I have my cobalt two everything, which is a very specific blue. Those colors came from, there's an original theme called cobalt, which was, it looks fairly different, uh, but it was based on being blue. And then I sort of tweaked it and picked a perfect blue that I like. And I've always kept that yellow. And then my new website again is going to be like sort of a black and and yellow grungy. So I don't know. I just always stuck with it. I just I feel like regardless of where I go, that specific yellow always looks good. Yeah. Cool. I like your colors. Thank you. Speaking of purple, one of our sponsors <laughs> today is also purple and uh, they're going to make you not feel purple. They're going to make you feel very green and good and happy. Uh, that's because <laughs> Century here is at century.io is going to be the place where all of your bugs and exceptions live so that you can solve them. Right now I'm staring at my Century and I'm seeing a couple of instances of some errors that have been popping up overnight since the last build. 
And I know what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. I'm going to be taking <laughs> care of these issues. I'm going to be referencing them to GitHub issues. We're going to be tracking them. We're going to be completing them. I'm going to be assigning my build to be a new build in Sentry so that when the new build goes up, I can see if there are regressions. So this is one of those tools that, again, makes your life so much easier. If you have a project that people are looking at, people are using, you're going to want to use Sentry. Head on over to Sentry.io and use the coupon code Tasty treat all lowercase all one word and you will get two months for free that's more than enough time to find out that why sentry is so so awesome and why we like it so much over here at syntax so head on over to sentry.io coupon code tasty treat all right next one any sick tips on career change I'm a full-time employee with two kids and a lovely life who wants a fulfilling career. I throw as much time as I can to study, but I feel like there isn't enough time, there isn't enough to apply for jobs. I've always been the one to cast a pretty wide net when it comes to this sort of stuff. I apply for a lot of jobs. I just go for it. I apply for jobs that are above my league. I go in to do interviews for things just for the experience to get better at interviews. I think some of it is if you aren't getting callbacks and you aren't getting uh, advancement in sort of interviews, you might need to look at your process. What are you doing to make yourself stand out? I always bring uh, or do a personalized cover letter for every single job interview I do for a little one page personal cover letter. I tune my resume for each thing that I apply for. And so my sick tips on career change is cast a wide net talk to a lot of people. A lot of times these jobs, they show up or they're being presented in things like meetups. And if you have an actual personal connection with somebody at a meetup, they used to say, Hey, I I'm here. I'm a real human being. Then that could help you get your foot in the door a little bit. So I would make myself visible. I would talk to a lot of people, tell people that you're looking for a job change, go to those meetups and, uh, hopefully try to, uh, get this, this, get this career change going. Because trust me, once you're over and once you're in, once you have a dev job, it's easier to get another dev job. So just, just hustle for that first one. Yeah. You got to get your foot in the door at some point. Just um, slamming I, I'm it just in the thinking door. of, of people that uh, I have seen who have made that sort of jump. And I even like at my workshop, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Apologies if you're listening to this, but he is working at uh, the Apple store as a, a genius right now. And he's looking to make the jump into to web development, which coincidentally is also the exact path that uh, Tom Dale is uh, of Ember fame has taken as well. So I thought that was pretty cool. I I let him know that. But he's just like perfect. Like I always see him on Twitter. I always see him on Instagram. I always he's he was all over the conference, first row of the workshop and uh, obviously putting a whole lot of time and stuff into this. I think as much time as he's putting into the actual skills, he's putting into the actual like meeting the right people and and getting in front of people and all that good stuff. So I thought that was uh, a pretty cool way. I also think that we should probably get somebody on the show that is like like the hires, not like a I don't know, someone that has hired a whole bunch of people. Uh, we have somebody lined up that we're going to talk about hiring juniors, mm-hmm. but also some someone that knows about making this jump because it is frustrating when you only have like an hour or two a day to devote to this stuff and you you want to make the switch, but you might have to sort of keep at it for a couple of years before you can get your skill set to uh, where you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, I've done hiring. I've been a part of the hiring process. Courtney's hiring somebody right now. So I'm like yeah. really experiencing some of the things that she's experiencing with this hiring process. And let me tell you, there are some bad, bad resumes, <laughs> candidates, interviews, you name it. And, and I just, 
there, there are so, so many times we, we had, uh, I don't want to call out too much about this because I doubt this person is listening, but we had a job interview one time and it was at a computer store and we asked the guy, okay, here's the situation. You're repairing somebody's MacBook. Your hand slips. You knock a capacitor off the logic board or something, right? You break their logic yeah. board. What do you do? Like, what, what is the what is the step Ooh. process? And this guy comes back with this. This is an interview. And he says, I would order a new one from Apple and pay out of pocket and not tell anyone. <laughs> like, oh, this my is gosh. a job interview, man. Like, that is the worst answer possible. Like, why would you just... <laughs> Tell somebody and get it taken care of and apologize. Like, <laughs> I just oh, couldn't man. believe that, like, what the thought process is that would go through somebody's head to give that question. So if you struggle with confidence in interviews, I know some people struggle with confidence in interviews. Just remember that guy. Uh, remember the person who said that they were <laughs> going to unethically, you know, sweep it under the rug and know that that's who you're up against a lot of these times. So just know that there are bad candidates and you're probably not a bad candidate if you're putting in the thought and time. Next one we have from Anonymous. Uh, within the next two years, how well do you think WebVR and WebXR? What's WebXR? It's a great question. Let's look it up here. Head to the Google. WebXR device. Augmented API. reality. Oh, this is. Oh, this is the, the augmented. The specification describes support for accessing virtual reality, VR, and augmented reality, AR. So XR must be the spec. That's from the W3C. Oh, yeah, this was just updated two months ago. The spec for the API on the web. That's that's pretty neat. This is pretty neat, yeah. Anyway, so WebVR and WebXR technologies uh, would fit into mainstream development. Think A-Frame, Spark AR, React 360, and normal websites and applications. So I'm very curious to see what you think about this, Scott, because I've always not gone into this at all, mm. primarily because I've never been a gamer and it doesn't appeal to me really all that much. There's a few augmented reality, like the measuring app on the I iPhone. I think there's Have a lot of augmented reality stuff that would, I think it's going to change your life. I think augmented yeah. reality will change your life. Yeah. So I guess that's my thoughts on it is, so VR is really cool and I'm really interested in, in VR in general for a lot of reasons. Like the thought of, and this is sort of, this is sort of terrifying, like future sort of thing, but like being able to put on a VR headset, turn on a little misting fan and a, a little lamp and pretend you're on the beach. Like if you can't go to the beach, that's probably just pretty second best for like meditation wise, right? You could meditate on the beach. In oh, interesting. There's like a lot of like practical applications or one of the cool things I was looking at when I was getting into speaking was using a VR headset to practice speaking in front of crowds because you can put on a VR headset and see yourself in front of an audience, right? And there's just a lot of like really practical applications beside or be beyond gaming for this sort of stuff. But I think AR is one of those ones that's going to just really just sort of blow everybody's mind once they're using it all the time. And once the the VR or the AR implementation that comes out that's like perfect, I think things are going to be really wild. Cuz imagine this, you're you're at the you're at the store you see several bottles of wine. You could just point your phone at them and all of a sudden you're getting user reviews just sort of hovering over them. You're, you, it's almost like 
you're getting notes, tasting notes, because how much can you have on that little card that tells you about the bottle of wine? This can give you like maybe unbiased user reviews or whatever. You're just holding up your phone places or visualizing a tree or landscaping in your backyard or visualizing furniture inside of your house. I mean, there's just so many interesting practical applications for AR. And I know a lot of companies are doing it already using the native implementations on on iOS and Android. Yeah, yeah, like the I- Ikea, like putting items in your your house or and things like that. I don't know. I think this is cool, super cool. I haven't heard of WebXR before. I really want to play around with this. Uh, WebVR is something that I've been really keeping, keeping my eye on. There's a React VR for those of you React fans. I don't know. This stuff is really interesting. So within the next two years, how well do you think these technologies would fit into the mainstream? You know, I think they're going to be more mainstream. I don't think VR websites are going to take over normal websites anytime soon. I think AR is more likely to slowly creep until we're doing a ton of AR because again, that measuring app, the furniture stuff, all that stuff is like creeping in. And I think it's going to continue to creep until there's that like perfect implementation of it. Yeah, I, I think web VR is, is going to be a little much for people to strap on some goggles. And and be, I think that's that's a whole nother thing. But I think yeah. something like when we got GPS in our phone, that was like, man, that's so handy. Mm-hmm. It's so handy to be able to have maps and be able to point where I want to go or figure out what stores are, are close to me. And I think like the web VR or not, not VR, AR, augmented reality is going to increase that handiness a whole lot more. So, so uh, Ikea, Shopify, if you want to buy like a lamp, you can already do this on their app. You can just look at your room and it will place that item. You can see what it looks like in there. I, just measuring. So things like I do a lot of online classifies and I sometimes see people use the measuring app on the iPhone to just measure like a desk or something mm-hmm. like that. So much easier than having to just like measure it yourself and then write it down. And then for the person to figure out, okay, the they have to like superimpose those measurements in their head on top of the, the actual thing. I think that's going to be extremely handy. Directions to items inside of stores. I know you can uh, like like Home Depot if you want to know where something is, it'll tell you what aisle and things like that. But imagine just like holding up your phone and it telling you to go left, right, straight. And Google Maps is sort of doing that right now. I don't know if it's in all of the versions of Google Maps, but there is versions of Google Maps, whether it's like a beta or something where you can hold up your phone now and you're getting augmented. Like really? Pathfinding. Path on yeah, the road. that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to get that. I, I don't oh, think it's on iOS yet. Problem. I just my Google just triggered (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah so i think that it's going to be really cool i would watch that web xr which is the the api for bringing vr and and augmented reality to the web just because like 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 all things when there's something new it's just ripe for conference talks and youtube videos and blog posts about how these things work and if you want to sort of hit your we always say this wrong Hitch your dog to that wagon or whatever. <laughs> you want to hitch if your you, That's a good to wagon, wagon to hitch your horse to. Yes. We're hitching horses. We're hitching horses here. All right. Next question. What do we got here? This is from TC. Uh, should I learn full stack JS or Jamstack for freelancing? So uh, we'll go through it real quick. Full stack JavaScript means you do the front end, whether that is statically rendered, whether that is something like React or Vue. And then you also do the back end, which is something like uh, like a Node.js on the back end or PHP back end, a Laravel, whatever. That's that's kind of the idea of full stack. Jamstack is the front end. It's just a static generated site. It's JavaScript APIs and markup. 
and uh, you can have React on the front end, and then that that will talk to a bunch of APIs via back end. So uh, the thing about Jamstack is that uh, you still need something on the back end, and there are plenty of companies that are, are willing to give you some sort of service that will be that back end for you. But at a certain point, you're going to need to implement some sort of custom functionality. And, and if that's the case, you're going to have to build up some sort of server side or you're going to have to spin up some serverless functions. And you're still going to write some nodes. So I don't really think that there's all that much difference here. It's just sort of an implementation or, or a cool name. The, the whole Jamstack phrase is, is trying to be pioneered by uh, these companies because it's it's a good name to sort of encompass this new uh, way of of building websites. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? You know, my my first inclination is just to always say go with whatever you're the most comfortable with. So yeah. learn Jamstack or or Full Stack for freelancing. Yeah, if you're learning in both from scratch, I would just pick the one that that calls to you the most. Maybe dip your toe in a little bit of Jamstack stuff and maybe you're feeling like there's too many pieces to it or dip your toe into full stack and maybe you're not feeling comfortable all the way up the stack or down the stack, whatever. I would pick the one that's easiest for you to build things quickly, fastly, especially if it's for freelancing. A lot of the things in freelancing is going to be about saving you time. You don't want to spend a ton of time on your projects. You want to get them done. You want to get them, you want to get them to be excellent and you want to get it out. You want to push it out so that you can cash in and move on to the next one. Because freelancing is one of those gigs where you always got to be moving on to the next one. You don't want to spend way too much time on one project here. So again, you want to do something that you're efficient in. And that's pretty much my my outlook on that. While we're talking about this uh, Jamstack, do you see that Netlify, you obviously saw this because I was at the conference where they showed it to us. Netlify announced this thing called Dev. Mm-hmm which is going to allow you to sort of run all of the the things that Netlify runs in the cloud uh, locally. So it'll make your sort of development process a lot smoother. You can run things like serverless functions locally and you can, without having to deploy them to the cloud in order to, to test them out. What do you think about that? Yeah. Not only have I seen this, Wes, I've yeah. used it. <laughs> Whoa! I've already used it. Yeah, no, you probably converted your whole platform to it already. Yes, <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I was talking to Sean a little bit about. I had I had an issue where like I I have a, a site on Netlify and it, the yeah. contact form is like more complex than just like all right here's a form send it to somebody. Like there's yeah. a lot of steps involved and like if it goes to this person then these emails need to get fired off and and so I dove into functions. And so one of the things is when I was first looking at it, Sean was just like, oh, you should use Netlify Dev to try it out. So I tried it out. I wrote my functions. I tested it. I pushed it up. It's it's, uh, it's still in beta, right? It's not quite there. There were like a, a couple little weird issues and it could have been with my platform or my setup. And like right now, sort of the deploy sort of scheme for things isn't quite quite right for me, but the system was yeah. really nice and it was really easy uh, to get going. Once I, I used one of their their templates, I just did like email template and it just threw a bunch of code and now I have it. It's great. It, it works very smooth. Yeah, it's one problem I have with uh, Zeitz now right now. I'm actually working at moving my course platform over to Zeitz now and they don't have any sort of solution. They say they're working on it, but they don't have a solution for running it all locally. Uh, so if you want to like run That's it locally, so you have weird. to like make you have to like replicate the entire like server 
locally with your own custom express uh, and just hope it works exactly the same as the deploy, which is odd. So hopefully they'll come out with something like this because I think the whole like serverless thing is a little bit too hard and there's a lot of companies working on it right now to make it a little bit smoother. Yeah, I like it because it does. It reminds me of my own platform because I have my server side stuff sort of side to side with my UI stuff. It's like, yeah. here's my API just lives in a folder and I only have one start command. I don't have to worry about anything and it just just works. <laughs> so, uh, no, awesome. yeah, I, I had a pretty good experience with the Nelfi dev. I can't wait to see when it's done. Okay, uh, here's the next question from Leo. And this uh, question is front end development dying. No, it's not. It's not dying. No, I don't know why. What kind of question is that? Why would it be dying? Like, what is it being replaced with? Yeah, Command line interface? It, yeah, I know people will be like, it's being replaced with Wasm. No, you don't know what Wasm is if you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a Wasm show just to, to get out what that is. We haven't done one yet, have we? No. Web, web assembly? Yeah, no. no, we should. No, we should, we should put that on the docket. Yeah, no, front end isn't dying. It's getting better and better. And it's uh, you can now have a progressive web application in the Google Play Store. It, that, that tells me it's like more than not dying. It's it's flourishing. What's this typing? He's typing, are your books dying? As a, as a segue for me to into get into this FreshBooks advertising. I love it. I love all the exclamation points and question marks you put here, Wes. Yeah, are your books dying is a good question because... <laughs> Maybe you should be looking at new, fresher books. And uh, FreshBooks is one of our sponsors today. They've been a sponsor of Syntax for a very long time. And FreshBooks is the amazing cloud accounting software that will keep you and your books organized. Yes. So if you have any sort of small business that you're trying to run, it takes up a lot of time just sort of managing the books, inputting expenses, taking photos of receipts, following up on late payment reminders, all of that stuff takes away from your actual business. So I suggest to you that you sign up for FreshBooks, which is cloud accounting to manage all of that for you. It will automate a lot for it. You can hire somebody else just to, I don't know, input all the receipts for you. That's specifically what I do just because that's that's probably the biggest task for me. And uh, I have someone else do it right into the FreshBooks team account. Uh, it works really well. Go to freshbooks.com forward slash syntax. You're going to get a 30 day unrestricted free trial and thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring. Thank you. All right. Next question here. How do you deal with CSS and JS when you have a one-off stuff? Coupled component selectors like CSS grid container uh, and a grid child. CSS feels very verbose for this use case. This is from Ben Grinhouse. Now, I, I basically organize my stuff like this. I have my elements that I'm going to be using over and over again. It's my reusable stuff. And then if I ever have any individual one-off styling, those live in the components where that component is used. That's pretty much it. I think some of this stuff with CSS, once you get into it and you have, you're noticing you have a lot of one-off stuff, you have too much one-off stuff maybe there's something with your system that's worth looking into. Maybe you're just tacking on a bunch of stuff to your system typography. I think that's actually like a thing for me now. If I notice that I'm defining font sizes, then I need to do something because my font sizes should be part of the system. I shouldn't have to have a one-off component to define font sizes or something. So for me, again, I keep all of my reusable elements in one place in an elements folder. And then if it's a one-off thing, this, this design, this layout, this is only used in this particular space. I define it in the file and just use it as a styled component. And that's, that's that. There are a lot of other 
ways that you can go about it with like the CSS prop or maybe the style prop that comes within React and you can just have it as an object for CSS. There's a lot of things, but yeah, does it feel verbose? Maybe, maybe it feels verbose to define these components in this way, but I, I don't mind it. Um, that's just me personally. Yeah, it specifically mentions like think of a grid area uh, where you just have one element needs to go in a specific area. If that's the case, like Scott said, use inline CSS. So on React, you can have a style prop um, in any other thing. I'm sure you can just use style equals um, and then just apply it directly to the element. There's nothing wrong with that. I think sort of sometimes people think like, oh, if you put CSS as an attribute on an element, that's bad practice. And it's not. It's like obviously bad practice if you're doing that a ton. But that's exactly what it's for is when you need to just directly attach it to something because it's a one off. And if you want to get on on that note, uh, have you used the the CSS prop installed components? The CSS prop. Yes, this was re- recently added because it was a feature of emotion that people really liked and they they brought it over. What does it do? It basically allows you to write a CSS string directly in a prop rather than. Oh, creating a component. OK. Yeah. So on, that way directly on a styled component. Yeah. So it it's just differs a little bit because it keeps it all within styled components that way, rather than having it be a little bit of styled components and then a little yeah, bit of objects. Because as soon as you or, have that an object, then it's outside of a style components. So you lose any like pre-processing or whatever yeah. you have set up with that. Oh, that's so I would probably reach for that. Other stuff. I, I think that like one off CSS is is awesome for style uh, CSS and JS because I think of anything like landing pages or marketing one-off sites or sign-up boxes, things like that. Those would always just be added to my CSS and then never again. Like the other day, I found some CSS in my own course platform that says Black Friday 2016. I was like, damn it, this is so old. And if I had used style components for that, the, the sheer fact that I don't have my 2016 Black Friday banner on the page anymore <laughs> means that that CSS would never make it into the final bundle. So th- there's huge bloat that comes with one off CSS. And if you can have some sort of system that will automatically call the CSS that you don't necessarily need, then that's great. So if it's more than just adding a grid area and it's like, oh, I just need to like write some custom CSS just for this thing. I think CSS in JS is perfect for that. Yeah. And this is one of these things that I'm really loving right now as I'm rewriting my entire CSS of my site. I, it, the amount of stuff that I'm looking at, because it's been it's been years and years and years of just patches and additions and changes. And the site is so incredibly different right now than it was when I started coding it that it's like, that's why I'm ripping everything out. Because you're patching on top of a patch. The system itself is no longer the system. And you're trying to make it all work. And to me, it's so funny to see some of this stuff. I'm having an absolute blast deleting CSS. I'm like, why is this here? Later, delete it. All right, extra components, delete it. I did like a find for font size and line height and all this stuff, and I just deleted them all. It was great. Felt very good. Next question here, it says, Scott always talks about Meteor. I think it's really cool too. What's the future of it? And why didn't it take off? It seems to have slowed down. They seem to have moved on to other projects like GraphQL stuff. Yeah. So I think the thing with Meteor was, is that when they initially launched, they didn't have NPM support. And I think that really uh, made a lot of people weary to try it because everybody is so used to NPM. And Meteor soon after added NPM support. And sort of by then, I think the hype 
cloud had already even passed over it. But Meteor makes it really super easy to get started with things. They also had their own front-end framework, which I think was a bit of a a thing for people when they first started, right? Meteor's Blaze is sort of like a Vue-esque framework at the time, and it was really cool. I really liked Meteor Blaze, but then I I don't think they moved quickly enough to support React out of the box, Angular out of the box, that sort of thing. And maybe that's why it, it sort of has progressively slowed down. That said, I still really like it for building a Meteor and React site with React on the back end. I really like it for building an Apollo site because it makes getting set up with a database and authentication, all that stuff, very easy. That said, it is it is slowing down. I think the community with Meteor, they I think one of the big problems that they had was that they didn't give community open source access to do pull requests fast enough. Pull requests were just sort of sitting there. There wasn't like a a big emphasis on like the community submitting code. And that said, there's still updates coming out. The the most recent update to Meteor has been really good. There's been a lot of new features added to the build tool. It's been uh, progressively getting better. But again, yeah, I I do think it has slowed down. So, you know, I don't know what my status on recommending it is. It's definitely really great. If you were planning on a project that you're planning this to be like your project for now until whenever, maybe not pick it. But if you're looking to get up and going on something fast, there's no reason not to pick it. It's really nice. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. You can always, the Meteor forums are are usually pretty going or, or whatever. I'm usually hanging around there. So that's all I have. Yeah. Part of the show is when we get into something called our sick picks. And our sick picks are the picks where we, we pick anything, it seriously could be anything, a podcast, a movie, a book, and we, we tell you if they're sick or what, what we like. Do you have a sick pick today, Wes? I do. I'm going to sick pick the DeWalt oscillating tool or any any oscillating tool, really. It doesn't have to be the DeWalt one. And uh, for the last, like, I don't know, three years, every Christmas and birthday, I've been asking for a new tool because these I have a whole bunch of batteries and, and you have to, like, once you buy into a battery of a specific tool, You have to stick to that battery. Otherwise, you have all types of different batteries and whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got for Christmas the oscillating tool, which is this like maybe you have to Google it exactly what it is. But it's this tiny little blade on this tool and it vibrates back and forth really quickly. And it has like cutting blades that you can put on top of it, kind of like a sawzall, but uh, much more precise. And somebody once referred to it. It's their like get out of jail free tool where anytime you don't have the specific tool to to get into something, this is probably the one that's going to save you. And I've been doing some work in my garage this weekend and uh, I had to cut off a whole bunch of stripped bolts that couldn't come off. And I had wow. all these nails in the wall that the heads have been like my garage is like 100 years old. And there's all these like old timey square nails in it. And I just couldn't get any of them out. And I needed to to get them out of there. So this little oscillating tool gets into little nooks and crannies. If you need to cut a little piece of wood or trim something, it's amazing. So it's just a handy little tool to have around. And I I got it, I don't know, for Christmas a bunch of months ago. And I've used it a couple of times since then. I've I've bought a couple of bikes that had stripped bolts on them and I just cut them off with that. But this weekend is like the first time that I used it like 15 times. I was like, man, this thing is handy. It's one of those tools that you just wait until have it and then wait until you actually need it because you're going to need it at some point and uh, it'll save you tons and tons of time. It looks awesome. I I can think of a ton of things I would use this for right now, but I can't add any tools. I I can't, I can't add any more tools. I need a, (laughs) I have nowhere to store them. I need to build a, like a, a shelf. First, like a tool. Do you have like a, a tool rack shelf thing? What yeah, do they call this? A we've got like shelf? in our garage, I have this like 
toolbench. Did you build it or did you buy the it? The old man. No, like our, it was in our garage when we got there and it had like a bench grinder and a vice and a pipe cutter and uh, all of those things were old and I couldn't get them off. So I just took this little zip thing and cut the bolts right. Like I went in between the, the workbench and the bolts and cut them right off. And then and then I can get rid of them. And now I have this nice like open workbench and I have a little shelf that I can throw all of my all of my tools on. It, it's not great because I have to bring them in in the winter because the cold in Canada is not great for the batteries. But oh, yeah, it worked well for the the summer. You know, it's like I have I have a hundred year old garage. Why, why couldn't yeah. somebody have built a tool bench over the course of those hundred years? And then I would have it like, now I have to build it myself. It's been a hundred years. Come on. Somebody should have done that. <laughs> somebody <laughs> up until what, what has happened that is leading up to me having to build one right now? <laughs> exactly. There's no remnants of one. It's clear that one has not been there. So yeah, uh, I'm jealous. TJ and I got to get one. My sick pick is going to be a book. This is a a book that I really enjoyed, especially it's brand new. It just came out. I had it pre-ordered, so I got it the day of. It's called The Making of a Manager. Uh, There's a little subtitle here. What to do when everyone looks to you. It's by Julie Zhu. If I mispronounce your last name, I'm sorry, Julie. Uh, This book was so good. She worked at Facebook and she basically was put into a managerial position. And basically this book is sort of about lessons that she learned while becoming essentially a manager, the making of a manager. And I just found it to be really, you know, some books are just like really authentic sounding. I I guess that's the right word to use. You know, she, she doesn't come across as somebody who's trying to sell you anything. Some of these times these books, you get into this stuff, it's like a whole system and blah, blah, blah. And this is just very sort of it's personal, but it just feels very authentic and genuine. So I really enjoyed this. If you're in any sort of position where you're needing to manage people, I, I found it is a nice little way that you can learn from lessons that she learned in her career so far. And I, I've just absolutely really, really enjoyed this book. I've heard that the actual book version has some really great illustrations in it. And unfortunately, I got the audiobook, so I don't get those. Uh, but uh, I'm a huge fan of this book, and I think if you're in any sort of managerial position, you'll be interested in it. Again, it's not like a, it's not a dry read or anything like that. I found it to be pretty entertaining and fun. Awesome. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now's the point of the show where we talk about our shameless plugs. Shameless plugs, Wes. What you got? What what do we got to to plug today? I am going to shamelessly plug all of my courses at westboss.com forward slash courses. I realized I forgot to give out my coupon code for the last like three months. So if you use a coupon code syntax, that's going to get you an extra 10 bucks off any of my paid courses. And of course, I've got other ones, CSS Grid, JavaScript 30. Uh, those are all absolutely free. Check it out at westboss.com forward slash courses. Cool. I have a new course on React spring it's called animating react and it we we cover not only how to use react and with react spring because react spring can be really confusing and their docs are, are great but at the same time there's just it's such a powerful library that it's sort of impossible to really get everything from the docs so what we do is we show you the syntax and how to use react spring but in the most important part we do these really practical examples we build a menu that slides over we build the shopping cart animation from level up tutorials we build a modal we build an animation that triggers on scroll and then at the same time we get into some really interesting stuff as well so check it out at leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro and be become a pro at animating react with react spring awesome i think that's it for today anything else to add i got nothing 
All right. Thanks for tuning in. As always, follow us on Twitter at WestBoss, at Stalinsky, and at SyntaxFM. And we will catch you next week. Peace. Peace. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.